As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's show is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing and our premium membership community, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're ready to take your on-track game to the next level, visit thisisbracketracing.com today. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprise. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. With over 50 years of experience in drag racing, BTE has been a trendsetter and innovator, placing themselves and their customers ahead of the pack. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Time for the big interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right, continuing our ongoing quest to touch base and catch up with each of the 2018 world champions from not only the NHRA Lucas Oil Tour, but the IHRA Summit Super Series and the NHRA Summit ET Series. We are catching up today with Brian McClanahan. Brian, as you know, is the reigning NHRA Stock Eliminator World Champion. Brian, thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to uh, join us here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I always try to start these interviews in, in much the same manner, and I think that your story is very unique in terms of family tradition. But 
take us back to the first time that you were introduced to the sport of drag racing in general and maybe your earliest memories around racing. Well, for me, it goes way back to around 1972, <laughs> believe it or not. That's my earliest memories that, that make me two years old, you know, being at Irwindale Raceway and going there flat towing and stuff like that. And maybe a little bit later, a couple months later, we were on our way to Amarillo, Texas for the uh, NHRA finals. I remember that vividly that we flat towed all the way to Amarillo, which was the uh, world finals. We won the race and had the banquet in a picnic-like setting. That's my earliest memory of, of the sport right there. I read that in your uh, in your national dragster write up, and that's with your father Jerry, who won three NHRA Stock World Championships, correct? Yeah, seventy three, seventy four, and seventy eight. Wow! And then on the flip side, you've uh, been through the championship experience <laughs> with your son Ryan, who won the Super Stock title in is that oh nine. He won the title in two thousand ten. Two thousand ten. Yeah if you can equate that, like how did the experience of kind of going through that may have been too young to remember so much with your father, but more explicitly with your son, like how did going through that experience from outside the driver's seat, did that help you prepare it all for your own title run this season? Well, only in a sense that when you get down there to the end, you you understand that it's not impossible to win because you've already done it in a sense. And even though I wasn't the driver, you know, you you never think that you could do it until you do it. And then once you do it, you you know, you believe that you could do it again. And, you know, maybe that prepared me a little bit, but from the, from the two experiences, they were, they were, you know, drastically different to me. It was a lot less pressure being the driver than it was to being the crew man because everything's out of your control and you, you can only prep so much and then sit there and watching it is a little bit more nerve wracking than doing it. I think just from a standpoint of feeling a little bit helpless to the outcome or, well, it's like, because when you're driving, you know, you're so focused and concentrating on, on the job at hand and all the little details of, of making a successful run. And, you know, you, really don't have the time to think about it or, or be anxious about it or anything like that because you're going through the motions and, and, and trying to make a, a good run. So, I don't know. For me, it seemed like you put the helmet on and every all the outside stuff is is muted out. A little bit less anxiety. Yeah, you know, there's no anxious moments once you put the helmet on. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't have those feelings. Uh, but on the starting line watching, you have those feelings all the way as the car is going down the track. Yeah, no question. What your your stock eliminator season and that points battle in general is the stuff a legend. I mean, you put up 690 points, which is a massive score, by far the largest winning points total in any category in 2018 and would run away with most categories in most seasons. As it ends up, you win the stock eliminator world championship by one single point in just an epic battle with Justin Lamb. Walk me through the season a little bit. I, I know you started off hot relatively early with the back-to-back final rounds in Phoenix. Was there a point during the year, and it may have even been that early, that you kind of stepped back and said, wow, like this could actually happen this year? What point did you really feel like you had a chance to win it? I don't think I thought I had a chance to win it until we were done with Salt Lake. That was- Salt Lake was really, really the pivotal, even though I didn't win either one of those events. It was a double and, and um, you know, coming out of there with two fairly good scores, you know, that, at that point I thought, well, you know, it's possible. But then again, you know, you're going against some of the people that are, you know, the best in the world. And 
and typically the best usually win. And uh, I was at that point, I wasn't really, I thought I could win, but I really wasn't focused on that. I was just happy that I, I could get my top 10 finishes, what I was really striving for. Sure. And at that point, I mean, you're coming down the stretch with, we mentioned Justin Lamb, who's now five-time world champion and three in the last two years. And in the mix as well was Jeff Taylor, who's what, a four-time world champion. And a number, I mean, stock was for as, as out of reach as you guys put it, you know, 690 points. There was seemingly into October, there was five or six guys with a chance that you know, looked like a realistic chance to put up 700 points. What were, you mentioned Salt Lake, and that was, that was a pair of semifinal round finishes for you, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the first race, uh, the first race, and I lost the semifinals. I gave it back by one thou after beating a guy by ten on the tree. And then the second race, I lost the semis after beating a guy on the tree and broke the rear and gear in the car. Oh, geez. So it was one of those things. I said, "Geez, if I could have just got those two, it wouldn't have been so dramatic at the end there." But uh, you know, again, there, there's times where, where I, uh, maybe I should have lost and I won. So it, it goes both ways, you know. Sure. That performance at Salt Lake really set the table for what would eventually be your, your crowning achievement at the national event at Dallas, that although it didn't necessarily at the time ended up kind of cementing your title. We'll get to that. I want to talk a little bit about that weekend as we go along. But as you look back on your season, I would assume that you would look back and say that Dallas was the key event. But whether it was from that race or anywhere else, is there any round or rounds that stand out from the year as like, okay, I got maybe a lucky break there or that round I ran whoever it was and they made an excellent run and it just so happened that I was able to get under it. Like if you had to pick one kind of turning point or defining moment of the season, is there one that stands out? I think the one in Sonoma racing Scott Burton in the final, that that's one that he probably deserved to win that one. I beat him by maybe, I think it was one on the tree, but it was one of those things I had a plan. I was going to go down there and dump him, and cause he usually runs a little hot and, I went down there and I was watching him, watched him kind of put the nose down a couple times. And then I went to dump and I hit it too late. And I actually dumped just past the finish line. And, and he broke out by, I, I think he broke out by one and I broke out by eight thou or something like that. So that one there was, was could have went either way, but I think that he, he had that race pretty much, pretty much won. And that's the divisional event at Sonoma, correct? That'd be the divisional at Sonoma. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, it goes without saying, when we're looking back on a season where the championship was won by one single point, every round made a huge difference. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. In each of these interviews, I love to focus kind of on the the drama coming down the stretch run, because that's a big part of winning a national championship. And although your drama didn't necessarily go to Pomona, it was probably as dramatic as any title run this season. You go to the national event in Dallas, I think you still had two national events to claim. So it wasn't like it was your last chance, might even had three, but you go to Dallas and you basically have to win one of those races to, to overtake Justin. And even at that point that didn't seal anything. Justin still had shots. I think, uh, I think Jeff Taylor still had a couple of bullets left in the gun, but you go through that event at Dallas and end up with the win. And it wasn't even a typical national event in that it was stretched into Monday. Like, Take me through that. You wake up Monday morning, you're down to the quarterfinal rounds. You know what is potentially at stake or on the table. What were those last three rounds at Dallas like? I had, I forget who it was in, in the 
the first round on Monday, but he was a no show because he had to go, go to work. And, and it, that gave me a, a time run, which was, I thought the best time you can get one is on the first run of the next day. So after that, you know, it, it was like, I just felt like, uh, I'm going to line it up and, and throw it down and see what happens. And, and whatever happens, happens, you know, this is really, that was my approach pretty much all year is I've already achieved what I wanted to do. And whether I win or not really doesn't define anything to me. I mean, it's great to be a world champ, but, uh, you know, I'd already accomplished my goals. And that day I had, I think I had Cummins after that. And, and I won a very narrow race. And then with Cooter, I won again, a narrow race. And, and it was just kind of meant to be. That event. I mean, it looks like when I look at your ledger to kind of round out the season, it looks like you had intentions of making the the six and eight basically all the way along. Like you, you make the division seven events. I think that the venture to Dallas was your most travel involved all season. Do you think that that I actually, we just got done with an interview with Steve Williams and he talked about kind of the effect of traveling and going to races and how it kind of eliminates that. He talked about his, his, he referenced that he'll tend to get complacent in the opening rounds, you know, which is silly because they're obviously more important than the later rounds. Like you can't get there unless you win the first few. But he talks about how that complacency tends to go away when you're not 30 minutes from home or you're not two hours from home, the more that you travel. Do you think there's anything that played into that in that trip to Dallas or was it more of just a, a perfect storm? Honestly, I just every round's the same to me, whether I'm at home or, or, or away. There's more distractions at home, so I feel like almost the, the further away you get from home is a little easier on on from my standpoint. But I treat the first round just like the last round. I I just go up there and and try to stay alert, and, you know, and calm at the same time, and and just line it up. I, I you know I race for fun, so for me it, it's I'm having a good time whether I win or lose, really. I don't think that complacency really comes into to, into my game. Like you say, I think the first round is, is probably harder than the last round, but uh, I treat them all the same. I, I don't feel any extra pressure or anything like that. The further you go or the closer you are from home, it's just a little bit, you know, the distractions are, are probably harder to deal with than anything for me. And so, you know, like I said, the further you get away from home, the easier I think it is for me the distractions in terms of business family all of the above yeah when i'm close to home you know there's always this uh, outreach of of the business aspect and then of course all the friends in the pit area and you know the distractions in the pit area kind of kind of mess up your prep a little bit and people try to help you near the house they try to help you out but but in reality they're kind of hurting you a little bit but you know that's not their intention but that's that's the way it seems to go down for me anyway it seems like you've got a really healthy approach to competition in general. Like, you know, you had mentioned, alluded to the fact, like, I'm there to, I'm having a good time, win, lose, or draw. And I think that that ultimately is the key to success for most of us. Has it always been that way for you? Or is that something that you've kind of settled into over time? I, th- I think in the last couple of years that I became more of a driver than a crew man. And, you know, I've always been the crew man. I've always been, I- I'm a performance guy. So I'm always trying to make the cars faster and trying to change things. And, and I'm not afraid to change things during eliminations. I do a lot of crazy stuff that kind of aren't productive to winning, but those things have, have stopped happening. And, and, you know, just really focused more as a driver because uh, once this car became available for me to drive and, 
you know, Ryan got a super comp car. It, it, it opened this car up. And so I, I said, okay, this is my car. Nobody else is driving it. And, and I'm going to stay focused and try to try to actually win something with this car. And that happened a couple of years ago. I think that that little approach, change in approach, uh, produced better results for sure. Can you speak a little bit to the logistics that go into a points chase? Because I mentioned your schedule and how it looked like it was largely premeditated and that most everything is on the West Coast. But as an East Coaster, I guess an East Coaster, a, a Midwesterner, it's easy for me to say like, yeah, you just ran all those races on the West Coast. Like, I, It's so easy for me to forget how spread out the West Coast is. Like for you guys to get to Seattle, like that's not just a, that's not a four hour drive. You know what I mean? And even just yeah. the trip, the, the single trip all the way out to Dallas with all of the obligations that you've got at home, how difficult is that to manage and balance and, and juggle? Well, it's really hard. You know, you got to plan in advance and make sure you have your ducks in a row and you better bring everything you need because you're far from home from from here to, to Vegas, everybody thinks that's really close, but that, that's a five, six hour drive for us. And, and to Sonoma is eight hours and Salt Lake is 12 hours and Seattle is 24 hours. You know, you're starting to talk about driving for two days to get to a couple of events. And so you're leaving on a Monday and you're getting back on a Monday. So you're missing, you know, six days of work or so. And it's challenging. You got you to gotta prep. You know, we own our own business, so we have to uh, prep payroll and and all the stuff that go into it goes into running your business and that part and then you also gotta make sure you got your car prepped and your motor home and your you know get your axles straight in your, in your trailer which seems to be a challenge these days for a lot of guys it's a challenge you know it, it's hard it's it's really hard but we have two people so ryan and myself and and uh, it, it really helps because he drives at night and i drive in, in the daytime and we got a, a system going that works pretty good where uh we could drive, you know, four or five hours a piece and, and rest the other four or five hours while they're driving. And we seem to get back a lot faster than we get there. That's for sure. <laughs> it's funny how that works. Now you've got this monumental feat, you know, checked off the bucket list and you've won a world championship. You've won a world championship with your son. You're enjoying racing together as a family. What is next for team McClanahan? Well, we're going to um, race pretty much the same schedule we raced uh, last year, this year, and, and just go out. And our objective is to go out and have fun. You know, it's, it's, it hasn't changed at all. And the schedule might change a little bit based on our success or our failures. You know, we're going to do some bracket racing and we look forward to doing some of that stuff, the sprinkling that that's always fun. And, you know, still, we're going to stay on the West coast again and we got a new car going together, which is maybe going to make its debut later on this year. That's a, a new Copo. And, think Ryan's going to drive that. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's what's going on with us. So you'll stay in the same car. Ryan's going to dabble a little bit in stock again. I think the plan is to, you know, to get the car so to work and, and he can make it as good as my car. Possibly I'll drive it in 2020, but uh, yeah, I'll be racing the same car this year and hopefully he can get out sometime mid year with, with the Copo. Awesome. Sounds exciting. In saying this, like, obviously, the individual driver gets all of the accolades in our sport and know in your case and in most of our cases it's it's far from an individual sport i want to give you this platform so to speak to recognize some of the people that have uh, helped make this happen for you well uh, i think that without my wife and my daughter it, it would be impossible for us to even race at all you know that susan my wife and my daughter alex that they, they they run the shop while i'm gone and 
and they keep everything moving in a forward direction. So without them, this this wouldn't have happened at all. Um, on the race car side of it, yeah, Gary Hansen, Hansen Race Cars, he's kind of my right hand man. He he helps me with 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 a lot of stuff beyond the chassis stuff. And um, so Hansen Race Cars, they're they're a big part of my success. And I think I have to help or thank uh, Daryl Weichel. He built the engine in my car, and uh, he's continually trying to make things better. That's a big deal in the stalker. You know, if you got a if you got a fast stalker, you, you can concentrate on on just making runs and not caring where you qualify. Because if you get a heads up, it, it doesn't matter if you have a really good car. It actually helps you. So I got to thank uh, Daryl Weichel. Uh, Who's your tires? You know, they help us out a little bit. And the other parts, Pro Trans. Pro Trans changes the gear ratios in my transmissions probably more than he should. But uh, you know, I'm constantly trying to make things a little bit better and. He tells me to leave it alone, but uh, nonetheless, he'll he'll do what I ask. And uh, I think we went through four different gear ratio changes last year. Just uh, in the championship so, uh, transmission. Oh yeah, yeah. We went through four different transmission ratios just to to find the sweet spot in it. Well, we we blew a motor up in the middle of the year, so that made us change to a different setup, and it it took a couple different tries at it to get it right. So, you know, ProTrans helped us a lot, you know, and 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 all the guys at the shop too, you know, they they work really hard while we're gone and that's important as well. All right. Let me circle back one time, just from a mental standpoint, because it's got to be an amazing feeling to kind of win the race on command that allows this championship to happen at Dallas. So I want you to think back to that feeling, maybe as that wind light comes on or as it starts to soak in afterwards and then compare it to, because as much as we can look back on that moment as the deciding factor in that moment, it wasn't. You, you had to have some other things fall into place. So compare that moment with you get word at, I guess, Vegas that it's over, that Justin had gone red, you know, whatever it was, 20 pairs in front of you. Which is the better feeling? Like the knowing that you accomplished this monumental feat when you won or knowing that it's over and you end up getting crowned the champion? I would say knowing that it's over being crowned the champion was definitely a better feeling than winning the national event in Dallas. For sure, that was a very special moment when you, when you have, you know, I'm trying to get ready to run, and you got guys opening both doors, and you know, just trying to congratulate you while you're strapping in, and, and that was just a really cool thing, you know, re- really cool moment that I'll never forget. Yeah, without question. Did you allow yourself to think that your score could hold up after Dallas, or did you just go into the remaining races with the mindset that there's going to be more work to do? Yeah, there was no way that I thought that that was going to hold up at all. We totally were prepared to to do to try to get more points, and and I thought there was no way that that Lamb wasn't going to get more points or Fletcher wasn't going to get more points. There was a couple other guys that I thought would definitely go to to, to Vegas and try to improve, and a couple didn't show up, which was surprising to me. But I thought for sure Lamb would get more points. I, th- I thought Taylor would get more points, but. I thought it was going to take about 720 to win, believe it or not. I know that's a really high score, but I, I thought that that was the number that was going to take, you know, looking at all the numbers. Because, you know, when Lamb goes to Vegas, he wins. That's all there is to it. It seems like he wins everywhere he goes, but especially Vegas. Thinking 690 was going to hold up was, no, that that was not, not in my mind at all. We, we went prepared to try to get more points for sure. Yeah, no, Jed and I went back and forth here on the podcast, somewhat in jest, but not really. Like It just seemed like it would be a fitting end to the season, the way that 
you and Justin and, and JT to some extent went back and forth in this heavyweight bout, particularly after you won Dallas. I even said it on the podcast. I thought the fitting end of this season is that Justin goes and wins Vegas and then you come back and win Pomona. You know what I mean? And it's like 740 to 730. Like that just felt like the way this was going <laughs> to end. So both just throwing yeah. haymakers back and forth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's what I expected. Not so much me winning Pomona, but I, ex- I expected Justin to win Vegas for sure. Right. Okay. Before I let you go, we tend to uh, to finish these interviews with a little bit of fun. So I've got some rapid fire. This is just uh, quick questions, not necessarily racing related. Be a little goofy, but uh, typically a quick answer on your part. You up for it? Okay, sure. All right. Uh, favorite racetrack? Start you off easy. Pomona. Pomona. When, uh, when Brian McClanahan is not racing or working, he is? He's at the river. Nice. That sounds good. Worst Colorado, uh, river. Colorado river. Okay. Worst haircut. And how old were you when you were rocking that style? Oh, probably mullet at 18 years old. That was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Business in the front party in the back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Household product that uh, is currently in short supply in your, in your home. Glass cleaner. I'm out of glass cleaner. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> favorite cartoon growing up oh geez probably scooby-doo nice <laughs> all right on that note i'm gonna let you go brian thank you again <laughs> for uh for taking right. the time with us here on the sports and drag racing podcast congratulations on a great season and uh best of luck in 2019 great thanks a lot nice talking to you yeah man I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Listen, we've all been there, right? We're approaching the finish line. We've got some room. We rip the throttle a couple of times. Maybe we rub the brake pedal. When light comes on, yeah. But when we return to the pits, before we can really prepare for the next round, we got to figure out what we would have run on that round where we lifted early. Have you ever wondered what the most accurate and, quite frankly, simple way to figure out what you would have run had you held it wide open on the rounds in which you lifted or break before the finish line? We had the answer. It's a formula that I've developed and refined over the last 20 years. And the best part? It's free. Check it out at thisisbracketracing.com slash formula hyphen sign up. Again, that's thisisbracketracing.com slash formula hyphen sign up. Going to check that out myself. Guys, BTE is one of a few full service transmission companies with a full array of manufacturing and testing capabilities. Their in house CNC facility is paired with an extensive collection of gear hobbing and shaping machines to produce any high performance driveline product. From inception, BTE's racing products are designed, prototyped, field tested, produced, inspected, and even shipped by real racers. Just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, their warehouse and manufacturing facility in Mount Pleasant, Mississippi is stocked with thousands of parts 
and they're centrally located in the United States for fast delivery anywhere. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty switching feet like Jerry Pennington. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.